This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Richard Duggan here in the studio with you this afternoon. Linda is off for the next couple of weeks, so uh, I'm filling in the next couple of days. Brian Callahan will be filling in as well. Uh, There's lots of stuff on the go today to tell you about. Um, But first, let's talk about the sweltering heat that's being felt across the province right now. I mean, So we'll get into it in a little bit, but I went to um, an announcement at St. John's International Airport uh, this morning, and part of that announcement was that uh, WestJet is going to be offering uh, more flights down to Florida, and somebody had actually mentioned at that news conference that, you know, what it would feel like in Florida right now is exactly what it feels like in St. John's today, just this wall of humidity, lots of heat. Um, I personally love it. I think I I love the heat and then and I could go for this all year round. Uh, some people not so much, though, and we're going to actually speak to somebody, uh, a senior citizen in a little while, who uh, uh, we're going to learn about how she is beating the heat right now. But uh, just looking at some current temperatures from across the province, uh, currently 24 in St. John's, 26 Marystown, uh, 30 in a heat warning in Grand Falls, Windsor, 26 in Cornerbrook, 25 in Labrador City, and 26 in Happy Valley Goose Bay. So just another absolutely sweltering day across the province. And if you are going out, uh, it is important to remember your sunscreen, uh, remember to wear a hat and stay hydrated because the effects of the heat, especially if you're outside, can really creep up on you no matter how fit you think that you are or how much you, 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 know, you are outside, it can sneak up on you. So it's, it's, uh, it's very important to make sure that you uh, keep those precautions in mind. Uh, we're going to get into some interviews now in a little bit, uh, but first I want to take a look at today's VOCM News question of the day. Still lots of time uh, to go to the website and give your opinion on this one. Today we're asking, is there enough access to affordable housing in your area? Uh, very topical given, you know, we've seen that everyone's seen the pictures, I think, lately of the, the lineups um, outside people's homes when they're renting out a space and, you know, th- just the demand that people are seeing and, and people looking for affordable housing. Uh, currently an overwhelming 87% are saying no, there is not enough access to affordable housing in their area. 13% saying yes there is and uh, there was supposed to be an affordable housing announcement today in st john's uh, or, uh but that was canceled uh, i'm not sure when we're going to get that announcement now uh but uh, clearly something is in the works there um and if you have an opinion on that on today's vocm question of the day uh still loads of time to go to vocm.com and vote in that poll one thing that i do want to mention as well a pretty cool initiative the yearly initiative that we partner with here at vocm and at vocm cares uh, we partner with the single parent association uh for the annual block the bus campaign that is back again um and and really great initiative and someone who, uh, you know, my mom, uh, ever since when I was 12 years old, my dad passed away and she raised me as a single mother. Uh, let me tell you, these donations uh, can really make a difference. You know, my mom, God love her, she made it work. Um, but there are a lot of uh, families out there that are struggling and uh, they are saying that demand is up this year. So uh, great initiative there. Um, details are online at VOCM.com. Of course, uh, but uh, donations can be dropped off at the association's office on Logie Bay Road and at the Village Mall. And uh, there's also a link on our website you can go through as well to learn how to donate for this year's Block the Bus campaign. 
All right. As I mentioned earlier, uh, I was down at St. John's International Airport earlier because WestJet has announced the details of their winter schedule of flights in and out of St. John's. Uh, so a couple of new things to tell you about there. Uh, a year-round flight from St. John's to Calgary is slated to start on November 2nd. That service will run twice a week. Uh, in fact, the WestJet representative at that announcement, Andy Gibbon, says that that's the first time that the airline will be offering such a route uh, connecting the east and the west western parts of the province as well uh if you want to go maybe you don't want to go to the west of western canada uh you can also go south as well they're adding two uh different flights to florida the first is an orlando bound flight that'll run from october 16th to june 24th of next year the second will go to tampa bay that starts on march 17th and goes until may 26th so again i was down at that announcement earlier today and uh, we're going to get to some of what was said there we'll begin with WestJet rep uh, Andy Gibbons and then we'll hear from airport CEO Dennis Hogan I'd like to start by offering a thank you to Dennis and his team here at YYT for pulling this event together our airport partners play a key role in attracting airline investment and bringing the community together as evidenced by the exceptional roundtable that was just held Today marks a special occasion for us as we gather in the vibrant city of St. John's to announce some exciting developments in WestJet's strategic growth plan and announce some news for which the tourism and business communities have been requesting for some time. This winter, we are delighted to introduce year-round service from St. John's to Calgary for the very first time. offering our guests seamless and affordable connections between Eastern and Western Canada. While there have been many ups and downs, WestJet has proudly invested in Newfoundland and Labrador for over two decades, and we are delighted to be here today alongside our partners to share this news. We want to be clear to our incredible guests, government partners and stakeholders, St. John's has a place in WestJet's future, and WestJet has a place in St. John's and the province's future. Let me share some details of our overall winter schedule from here in St. John's. Flight number one, St. John's, Calgary. The new, the new year-round service will operate twice a week starting November 2nd and build upon a very successful summer travel season currently underway, providing a vital link between these two cities, fostering business, trade, and travel opportunities for both regions and many critical sectors of the economy. Flight number two, St. John's, Orlando. We're pleased to bring back this very popular service to Florida with flights operating once a week from October 16th to June 24th. This season has been expanded from previous years and we're pleased to do so. Number three, St. John's Tampa Bay. We're excited to offer this service again to Tampa Bay operating once a week from March 17th to May 26th, 2024. Today is not just about these route announcements, it is about reaffirming our commitment to this region. We've heard your concerns and we are listening. Premier, thank you and Minister Crocker for reaching out and, fo reaching out and focusing on how you and your governments can secure additional WestJet inv investment and we value our partnership with you. Thank you very much. Aviation is federally regulated but provincially critical and we have a tremendous opportunity to further partner together. Our roundtable, which uh, was a meeting with business and community leaders uh, and the major issues around connectivity 
and affordability were raised. And it's so great to be here on the ground to hear those concerns firsthand and have the opportunity to address them uh, to the greatest of our ability. Last year, we launched a new growth plan for WestJet that focused on building a strong, resilient, low-cost airline that had a clear runway for growth. In 2023, we're moving forward with this plan with pace. It is driving anything, everything we do, and it's providing positive results. It also represents a change in return to our roots, the low-cost friendly airline Canadians came to love, including our valued guests here in Newfoundland and Labrador and here in the great city of St. John's. We will succeed in this new environment with a clear business model, fleet plan, and cost structure that is durable and will allow Canadians to book with confidence and rebuild trust. With our growth, plan, with our growth plans, we are positioned to be Canada's leading airline to meet the economic needs of communities and deliver the on-time and affordability that Canadians deserve. This summer, we expanded flights between Atlantic Canada and Western Canada, but this transition will not happen overnight, and we appreciate people's patience and confidence. I'd like to add some notes about our acquisition of Sunwing and what Sunwing is bringing to the community this winter. Sunwing is an integral part of the WestJet Group, and we are expanding leisure and sunflying options across the country and here in this city. We will provide the largest number of seats in all of Canada to popular sun destinations in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America this winter. We are Canada's leading leisure airline, and we take that very seriously. This winter, here in St. John's, we'll serve five markets, including Cancun, Cayococo, Montego Bay, Punta Cana, and Veradero, as well as weekly flights from Gander to Punta Cana and Deer Lake to Veradero. So after a very difficult winter season for the entire aviation industry, we're back, Sunwing is back, and we're in a strong position to serve this city, this region, and all Canadians, and we thank you very much. Thank you again to our airport, uh, to the provincial and federal partners, and those in the business community and tourism industry who joined us today and have such passion for our investments and the role that we play in growing so many sectors of this economy. Thank you. I, I'm comforted by the word new, by the way. It gives me a little bit more grace, I think. Uh, I've only been in the job for about six months. But I, I would like to say, um, when the board recruited me into this role, uh, there, was, there was great clarity about the number one priority, and that is increasing air access to St. John's and, and, by extension, to the rest of the province. And I'm really proud to be here today with all of our partners. Um, Premier, thank you uh, for, for your efforts and, and your team within the provincial government. Uh, the city has been a, a true uh, partner, uh, Mayor Breen. And, of course, uh, we interact with the federal government all the time, uh, MP Thompson. And, of course, Andy, your uh, announcement today, as you can probably tell, is being very, very well received. So thank you. Um, and I realize I'm the last person standing in between the refreshments, so I'm going to be very brief, but there are a couple of other thank yous I'd like to, to throw out before we conclude, and that's to the awesome team here at St. John's International Airport Authority. They're the people that... 
they they operate this facility um, in in a way that um, is truly amazing. They keep us safe, and uh, there's there's so much activity that happens in this beautiful facility and the whole campus of the airport. I have to extend my thanks to them, and of course uh, there's several of our board members here today, including uh, Tom Williams, who is our outgoing chair. Tom is going to finish up with uh, us after a nine-year run on the board of directors finishes in august so i want to give a special shout out to tom and there you have it that was uh andy gibbons of westjet and st john's international airport ceo dennis hogan at that announcement earlier today uh we're going to go to a break now in just a second but first uh provincial government just sent out a notice that the trailway provincial park is closed between heatherton and port of basque in this on the southwest coast uh the closure is the result of washouts caused by heavy rain in the area this past weekend um and the public is being asked to report any damage or concerns related to the trailway uh to them uh all right we are going to take our first break of the day and when we come back i'll bring you part two of that announcement at st john's international don't go away get lost in the music of legendary artists like elton john the beatles and more join claudette barnes every sunday from 12 to 1 p.m and relive fond memories through the power of music with sunday melodies on your vocm and welcome back to the show richard duggan and with you here this afternoon and uh now we're going to bring you to part two of that news conference held at St. John's International Airport earlier today. Again, WestJet um, announcing its winter schedule. Uh, now we're going to get the political side of this story. Uh, Premier Andrew Fury, Mayor Danny Breen, and MP Joanne Thompson uh, all spoke at that event. It's what a great day. And I have to tell you that um, it's been a pleasure to work with Andy and his team at WestJet. Um, we all felt the stress and strain of of that, connect, that potential loss of connectivity and the uncertainty that WestJet was facing. And, and to be able to have a, a solid partner where you can have those open and honest conversations with people like Andy in that industry to, so that they can understand what this means to the people in Newfoundland and Labrador was an incredibly valuable relationship and one that we uh, certainly appreciate, sir, and one that we hope we can grow and foster well into the future. So thank you for being here today and, and thank you for your support. Uh, MP Thompson, thank you for joining us. Mayor Breen, uh, I see many members of the board down in the back, including the chair, Tommy Williams, and of course, uh, uh, Dennis, uh, thanks for joining us uh, today. It's a pleasure to be here today, and this is absolutely fantastic news for the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, not just the St. John's, but the people of the entire province. Building air access is critical for travelers, for businesses, for the economy of Newfoundland and Labrador. It's a top priority for my government. The pandemic and supply chain issues meant that it has been a slow and tiring process, frustrating for many of the tourism operators I see in the, in the audience here. But today is an example of how we can make forward progress. We've seen it slowly, albeit improving. And today you can see the result of that focus, that direction of government, and that hard work paying off. For the first time ever, as Andy said, WestJet is offering a new year-round service direct from St. John's to Calgary. It should help with my skiing, I think. Plus the direct flights to a couple of our province's favorite sunny destinations, including Orlando, Tampa Bay, will run, and Tampa Bay will run throughout the winter. So thank you again, Andy, and your team at WestJet 
for not only meeting with us, but for recognizing the importance of this and honoring the commitment you made to us. You have no idea what a benefit this will mean for the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. Thank you as well to the St. John's Airport Authority, led, of course, by CEO Dennis Hogan, for their continued engagement in helping to advance air access, not just for St. John's, but again across the province. The importance of strong air access is not lost on anyone in this, in this room, and indeed, I can tell you, is not lost on anyone throughout the entire province. We know that we are largely a rock in the middle of the North Atlantic. And Newfoundland and Labrador has a large portion of its population living on the island portion of our province. Of course, the big land has its own challenges with many remote, rural, and coastal communities. Connections, therefore, is not key only for families and businesses alike. It is key, totally key, to the success of Newfoundland and Labrador as a whole. To Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, air access is essential. We rely on air transportation for business, for trade, for healthcare, and for social networks. My government knows that the access to domestic and international air connectivity is essential for the economy and therefore for the society of Newfoundland and Labrador. For the travel and tourism industry, it is essential, and we know it is top priority for you, and I want you to hear today that we understand that, we value you, and we will do everything we can to ensure we are supporting future growth with respect to air access. Before the pandemic, roughly 75% of all non-resident visitors to Newfoundland and Labrador traveled by air. Those same people accounted for an estimated 80% of all non-resident visitors spending in our province. Our government values strong relationships with our airports and our airlines, and today is an example of that relationship in action. In December, the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts and Recreation, led by Minister Crocker, launched a new tourism vision for Newfoundland and Labrador. Air access is a key plank in those plans for the next five years. Budget 2023 included $1.5 million to support the development and expansion of air travel in Newfoundland and Labrador. And while much has been done, as evidenced here today, there remains much to do. And I have to tell you, stay tuned, because we are just getting started. I'd once again like to thank the team at WestJet, as well as the St. John's International Airport Authority for their commitment, a strong working relationship, and recognition that this isn't critical, it's essential for the future, the sustainable future in a modern economy for Newfoundland and Labrador. I was just very pleased to be here today. This is an important day and an important announcement for the city of St. John's. We all know the, uh, the importance of air access to our province economically uh, and for people just to be able to move throughout the country as, uh, at, at, uh, at, without interruption to the best we can. But I think what's really important, too, that you consider, and this is the economic impact it has. Tourism is a, is a big part of our economy. Uh, in St. John's, conventions are a big part. And people can get now with this direct flight to Calgary. People can get to a convention in St. John's that probably ordinarily wouldn't travel here for that convention. So it gives that opportunity. 
But that fierce battle across the country for ear access, for, for communities like ours to get proper ear access, it requires us to work together. And I want to commend Hospitality Newfoundland and Labrador, the airport authority, and the provincial government for working with our corporate partners such as WestJet to make sure that we have the appropriate ear access in this city and in this province. Because people that come in here in the St. John's for a convention, they just don't stay in St. John's. They go throughout the province many times to experience what we have to offer and then come back for a vacation later on. So it's an important part of our economy. It's one that I'm very pleased to see everybody collaborating to make this work. Thank you to WestJet for your confidence in the city of St. John's and the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. I am so pleased to be here today and, and just want to echo so much of what's been said. This is a phenomenal announcement, WestJet. Thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to, to be here today. Connectivity is crucial, and, and I know that's already been said, but I want to just reiterate, Premier, um, the importance of the partnerships and the work that the province, the city, um, the hospitality, you know, all partners around the the airport authority, the work you've done to really pull together and find solutions in very short order. I think sometimes as we're moving further away from COVID, we forget the impact of a global shutdown that lasted a significant period of time. And so to ever think that we would reopen without disruption, I think, is um, short-sighted. But I believe, you know, the announcement today with the work that's happened to get us to this point, we will continue to expand. And certainly for someone who travels frequently, I know how important these flights are. I look forward to more direct flights. And also as a mother who has a son on the other side of the country, I know how hard it is to connect as families families as well. So I am pleased to be here. Thank you to everyone for making this happen. And I speak for my colleagues when I say we are here as part of the federal government, but the MPs from this province to work with all stakeholders to ensure that we continue to expand our connectivity with the country and with the globe and to continue to do it in a way that allows air access to be affordable for citizens. So. And there you have it. That was uh, Premier Andrew Fury, uh, St. John's Mayor Danny Breen, and MP Joanne Thompson at that announcement at St. John's International Airport earlier today uh, to announce a couple of new flights that are going to be coming to YYT in the fall. The first uh, will be St. John's to Calgary uh, and also uh, St. John's to Orlando and in the spring of next year, St. John's to Tampa Bay. Um, of course, air, uh, air connectivity, a big topic of conversation as of late um so there you have it all right we are going to go to the news now with vocm's noah shepherd and when we come back uh we're going to talk to the chair of st john's pride this is news talk on vocm your voice in newfoundland and labrador's biggest conversation if you want to know what's happening in your province tune in to open line every day have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m on open line with patty daly on your vocm what yet? We're back here on News Talk here on your VOCM. Uh, before we get into the next piece, I just want to mention this because this is pretty cool. I was scrolling through Twitter uh, during uh, the break there, and I came across this friend friend of mine from the United States shared this. Uh, it's an experiment that a TV station, a CBS TV station down in Arizona, is doing. The station is called AZ Family, and 
it is going to be uh, 46 degrees Celsius in Arizona today. So you think it's hot here. We got that's, that's n- just wrong. <laughs> there that's you just go. Wrong. <laughs> I look. I love the heat just as much as the next person finds, but I 46 degrees. I think I'd have to tap out. I've been doing my best not to complain about the heat because I remember January and February. Yes, I, I remember uh, January. Like we don't get a lot of hot days, so I will not complain about it. Now, granted, I am happy to be in for Claudette this week because this control room has air conditioning, and my studio does not. Hmm. But 46 degrees. That's hot. Hot. It is extremely hot. And so what this TV station down the States is doing, they've put out a 300-pound ice block out on their front lawn, and okay. they've set up a tripod and uh, a camera, and they're going to wait and see how long it takes for the full thing to melt. And uh, the meteorologist at the station is guessing it's going to be about 9 o'clock tonight. 300-pound ice block. That's that's a, that's a lot of ice, and that's a lot of heat. I'd probably be sitting next to that ice block. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm willing to guess that uh, someone's probably going to try to do like a belly flop on top of it or something like that. (laughs) Probably. That's madness. But anyway, there you have it. So you think it's hot here? It's hotter somewhere else. Um, Moving on now, uh, it's been quite an eventful few weeks for the community as St. John's Pride has hosted a variety of events in and around the capital city. Uh, Everything was capped off yesterday with the parade in downtown St. John's. Loads of people showed up to that. Uh, we have photos uh, that have been circulating around online and whatnot. Um, so I thought I'd check in with board chair Eddie Sancourt for his perspective on how things went and where we go from here. Um, I think it, I think it went really well. I mean, we had two weeks of a festival this year, which was really great to have, and, and it really came together because of the community. We had a lot of diverse events that were happening across the city, like some events that we wouldn't have, have thought of, like pool parties and documentary film screenings from the Federation of Labor and um, the Queer Veterans Association. Like it was really, it was really great to see, and it was just good to see so many people from the community come together and join their community over the last two weeks. Especially yesterday with the uh, Pride Parade. I mean, a big turnout for that. Were you happy with the turnout that you saw at the parade? Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, to see that many people, especially when there's so much hate and adversity that the community's been feeling for the last little bit and and protests that have been going on against queer rights and trying to politicize queer and trans rights, it was just so nice, I think, for the community, if nothing else, to see that many people all come together. There was so many of the participants put a lot of effort into their displays this year, and we're hoping that that builds for next year. And it was just this really great moment to see it all come together in the morning. And, and what I'm being told is, although it's really hard for us to get numbers, but we have a, a row team that's been doing this for the last couple of years. And they're telling me that it's the longest they've ever seen it take for the procession to actually leave City Hall. And there were no no hiccups or anything that that kind of impeded them. But it took the, it was the longest time they've ever seen to get the parade actually started. So that was really neat. With that kind of representation, what sort of a message do you think that sends to people out there that are maybe still struggling to come to terms with who they are? Uh, what sort of a message do you think that sends? I think it sends it, it sends to them that they have allies in the city, and the, and and the, the whole re- I've been asked a lot over the last six or seven weeks why it's, why we still have pride events and why pride festivals are important, and and what I keep trying to remind people of is that for many. Um, the Pride Festival is the first opportunity to kind of find their community and, and, and find that pocket of people 
um, that they can relate to and that they can kind of that they can kind of make a network with and make new friends with. And we saw a lot of that over the festival. We saw a lot of different groups of people and a lot of events that were geared specifically towards different pockets of the community to try and encourage them to come out. And, and, and we thank we thank Monsu and the Student Union. Um, as well as Peace, Love, and Pride for putting together events like that because I think that it was really important. Now, Eddie, I know, um, and, and we'll get to sort of more forward uh, looking now in terms of what's next for Pride in a second, but you mentioned that, you know, there there are a lot of new things that were incorporated this year into the two weeks of festivities. Uh, is that momentum that you hope to uh, uh, implement again uh, now for next year's festival? I know we're still a ways out, but is that something that you'd like to see continue? Yeah, I think a lot of what we're hearing so far is how is how pleased people were and how pleased the community was to see what was able to come together as quickly as it was. And I mean, we're really hoping that there's been a lot of inroads made with the community and different organizations that represent different pockets of the community and that we can kind of keep working together and creating those spaces so that people can build on it. We have some events planned um, coming up in the short term, but then we're hoping now that we have a full year instead of seven weeks to work on the festival, but the, but the board will really be able to, to bring it up a notch next year and, and kind of build the partnerships a bit more. Now, aside from um, next year's festival and the rest of the activities, uh, what is next for St. John's Pride, and what are some of the things that you'll be looking at now moving into the fall and even into the winter? Well, really quickly, we're going to uh, the board's going to convene um, after we take after we take some time to rest and kind of get catch our breaths again, and we'll get together and pick the dates for next year's festival. And we're hoping that that gives people an opportunity to plan for it. There were a lot of people that we ran into who said, you know, we like earlier in June, who said we always want to come home for Pride, but we never know when the festivals are or the festival dates get announced too late. So we're really hoping that we can do that and kind of make that part of the different tourism initiatives that are going across on the Northeast Avalon, and hopefully being able to expand out and connect to a lot of other great organizations that are doing amazing work across the province, like Bogle Island Pride. Um, in, in Grand Falls, Windsor, there's a group that's doing things in Labrador and Cornerbrook. There's all of these great organizations that are really community-led and are trying to come together. So hopefully we'll be able to kind of unify a bit more and help each other out because they have ideas, we have ideas, they've tried different things, and so have we. And I think the so that's kind of what we're looking at, even on the provincial level. And then coming into the winter, um, we need more diversity and representation on the board. So we're really hoping that we can keep creating spaces where people, you know, feel feel welcome enough and feel included enough to come under the tent and kind of help help share some of, some of the effort that we're trying to do and try and try and bring in some new perspectives and some different things that we might not be considering looking at looking at the activities and looking at how Pride's approaching its mandate in the city. And as we've been speaking about, you know, especially it seemed this year, there was a lot more opposition, I, I guess you could call it, or a lot more of a proliferation of hate towards the LGBTQ community. So I guess looking at addressing uh, the hate that the community has seen will be a part of uh, the organization now moving forward as well. Yeah, I mean, Pride has a mandate um, to be an advocate and to work on education and to create a safer community. And we're already doing a lot of that. I guess a lot of a lot of what we what we learned and what we kind of observed going through and getting rid of this festival, not getting rid of getting ready for this festival, is that we noticed that a lot of that hate seems to be coming from um, the states, people who don't live here, people who don't have a connection to the community, and. On the, it's it's very nerve-wracking for people that are in the community to read these kinds of comments. But what we what we saw and what we really experienced is that locally, 
that seems to be a minority and a minority that um, is standing against some very strong opposition and some very strong united people and as well as people from across the community that, that come out to stand in solidarity with the 2S LGBTQIA plus community. And I hope that that's what people take away from it. And I think that I, I really hope that people see um, how fragile our rights are and how fragile the gains that we made um, are in our society and how easily it can be for people to try and attack them and politicize them. And the only way that we're going to be able to really make sure that society doesn't go backwards is if we have a united community that recognizes that we all need to work together and we need to come together to make sure that we can secure the rights that we have and make sure that, that they are entrenched, as well as to make more strides for people that haven't, that in our community who aren't living in an, equality, in an equal society yet. And then even once we get there, the world has to get to the point where people can be free to live as who they are and, and, and be free to be those people. So even if we ever hit a point where here in St. John's or here in Newfoundland and Labrador where we have true equity and true equality for 2S LGBTQIA plus people, we still need to make sure that that movement goes even further and that, and that we get to a point where we don't need organizations like the Rainbow Bridge that's actively trying to get people into safer countries like Canada so that they can be free of prosecution for being who they are. And now, Eddie, I did want to ask as well, you know, you are still relatively new to this role. Um, how has being, you know, diving in <laughs> head first, I guess, as you could call it, into helping to plan for the festival and, and helping to, I guess, organize things over the past month and a bit, how has that maybe affected your perception of the community or how has this sort of affected you know, the, the way that you look at the issues that the community is facing? I think it was really eye-opening to see how diverse the issues are and to really gain some perspective for people who have lived experiences that, that I don't have and that, and that I'll never have. I mean, I, I say all the time I'm pretty, I'm pretty high at the societal safety pyramid as far as people from our community goes. I mean, I'm a, I'm a white bisexual male who you know, lives, down, lives downtown. A lot of the adversity isn't targeted directly towards me, although it's there on the fringe. But when you add a layer of indigeneity on top of that, or when you add a layer of um, race on top of that, you really start to see how hurt and how afraid different people are. And it causes people to exist on, uh, in this reality where there's a lot of anxiety because you just don't know the spaces, if the spaces that you're going into are going to be safe if the people you're going to be interacting with are going to be safe because there's still a lot of work to be done in education in the community. But one, what I walked away with was overall a very positive experience, and, and we've gotten a lot of positive feedback over the last little bit about how much people enjoyed the festival. And I think that the reason why we have that is because St. John's Pride didn't set out to prescribe to the community, well, this is what the festival is going to be, and these are the kinds of events that we're going to have. And instead, we really turned towards the community because we had such a short timeline and said, well, we need your help. Tell us what you're doing and tell us how we can help and we can put resources together and those kinds of things. And although it was a lot of pressure, I think that it inadvertently forced a really great outcome for the festival because it was led, it, it came together the way that I think a lot of the community thinks that it always should come together as being community led and people making spaces that they recognize that aren't available there. And I really hope that we can continue to build on that and get more people to, to kind of come under the tent and come together so that more people can find their community.
And there you have a very interesting conversation there with Eddie St. Coeur. He is the chair of St. John's Pride. All right, just before we go to the break, I want to mention uh, we just got a notification in here that uh, Health Minister Tom Osborne has called a news conference for tomorrow morning to discuss the potential expansion um, of Munn's Faculty of Medicine undergrad program. We actually received a news release from uh, government last week uh, that was talking about um, how they were going to issue an RFP for that, and uh, the RFP was basically for someone to come in and analyze what would be needed should an expansion happen. So we'll get more details on that tomorrow morning. All right, we're going to go to the break, and when we come back, there's a new scam going around in the capital city that the RNC wants to tell you about. We'll speak with RNC Media Relations Officer James Cadigan coming up right after this. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And welcome back to the show. Richard Duggan in with you this afternoon. Linda Swain is off for the next couple of weeks. And now the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary is warning that scams involving property maintenance are very much active in the metro region. Recently, they received numerous calls of a scan involving involving people offering to do driveway sealing. Uh, a little bit earlier today, I spoke with RNC Constable James Cadigan to explain what's going on. Recently, we issued a notice to the community of a scam which involved uh, fraudulent agreements to complete property man- maintenance projects. And uh, this includes, you know, lawn care, uh, painting, anything at all that uh, these perpetrators are approaching property owners and, and offering to do work that may uh, may need to be done and, and for, you know, very good prices and, and requesting a deposit in advance. And when they receive that deposit, they are uh, not returning to do the work. Uh, so to follow that up, uh, just in recent days, we did receive a number of new complaints uh, of a similar nature. And in this case, specifically, uh, it is related to, to a driveway ceiling. And these reports are coming from mostly the the east end of the capital city. So we did want to warn our community that uh, we we are investigating these reports and to be cautious when uh, when approached by someone who is uh, offering to do this work. And and you know uh, one one thing to consider is perhaps to get a reference or you know some uh, legitimate contact information for this individual. And certainly. Uh, you know, perhaps avoid providing a deposit and, and offer to make a payment for such work, you know, once it's completed. So how are these fraudsters approaching homeowners? Are they going, like, door-to-door? Are they making phone calls? How are they uh, going about this? Yeah, so, I mean, th- these are individuals who are going door-to-door and, and approaching people who might be out doing some work in their yard or or that have, in this case, paved driveways and, and offering to, to seal them for a very good price. And uh, they're taking advantage of, again, in this case uh, that we have recently, they're elderly individuals that they're approaching. And James, you touched on a little bit earlier, but you know, how can people tell the difference between someone who's legitimate and one of these fraudsters? Yeah, so a legitimate business and, and service provider will have references and will have people who can uh, confirm their validity. Uh, from work done in the past. And and also they would have legitimate contact information and potentially uh, an address they operate out of. And, you know, if if you're not comfortable providing a deposit for for a job of this nature, uh, perhaps it's not someone you want to do business with. 
And James, have people actually fallen victim to this scam or are people out money right now because of this? Yeah, so we have had uh, individuals who have lost money uh, as a result of this scam. No, I think that I think it's great to get this message out there and uh, give people an opportunity to speak to their family members and ensure that they have this information to protect themselves. And there you have it, RNC Constable James Cadigan. Uh, there's so many scams going on today, and this is just another example um, of one that is preying on people who who are vulnerable, you know. And uh, uh, you know, it's oh, yeah. always good to be careful. And if you know, if something seems too good to be true, it's always good to uh, do a little digging and make sure that uh, you know everything is legitimate and everything is mm-hmm. above board. And small business owners get it all the time. Uh, I know a bunch of people who work in the uh, wedding industry who will get requests for events and will be offered like more money than they'd usually charge for an event and then a portion of the money they'll say okay well I'm going to pay your your usual price is $2000 I'm going to pay $3000 can you pay the event coordinator? Mm. And then it's a stolen credit card number or it's a fake check. And once that money's gone, the small business owner's out of it. Exactly. And it, 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 it comes in all forms. It's not just, you know, people think of scams. They think of, you know, a, a sketchy email or something like that. Mm-hmm. These people are really sophisticated now in the way that they can get to you. But Fonz, I'm glad that you brought up weddings because this is a great one for us to end the show on here today because it is wedding season and there's a new wedding chapel uh, down on the southern shore, complete with a Vegas theme oh, and even yeah. a portrait of Vegas himself. Uh, and it's been a hit among brides and grooms thus far. We spoke with the owner a few weeks ago uh, before they opened up everything, but uh, now they've actually done a few weddings, and so far things have been going really well. I spoke earlier today with Brenda Lee, the owner of Mom's Little White Wedding Wedding Chapel down in the southern shore. Here's some of that conversation. Oh, it's awesome. We're after having seven brides come through the chapel doors already in just a week. What are you hearing from them about their experience? Oh, all positive vibes. Everybody seemed to, uh, they all loved it. Great pictures. A lot of fun. They had train rides, bride and grooms on train rides. It was fun. Pictures by the pool. It's been really good. In our last conversation, uh, you know, there's a lot of anticipation for this, and you were obviously extremely excited uh, to see uh, the brides and grooms start to come through. Has it been living up to your expectations? Oh, definitely, and beyond. Like, just on Friday past, we had um, a bride and groom that were getting married, and um, at last minute, she decided to take her, well, her mom was able to come with her, and... um, the mom and dad ended up renewing their vows as well on the mom's birthday. It was Friday past, actually, so that was really nice. It was a surprise for the mom and dad. They were married 58 years. So they kind of had like a double wedding type thing. It was really good. Oh, my gosh. That, that must have be so unique and so special for you to be able to share in that experience. Oh, it was. We were all in tears. Photographer had a job to take pictures. <laughs> so now are, are you all booked up now for the rest of the summer? And how, things, how are things looking? Um, for weddings, well, see, we had our Airbnb, and that was already booked up before I came up with the idea for the chapel. So um, I've got a lot of quickies booked for this summer, but now uh, September and October, our weekends are full swing with weddings almost every weekend. And next summer, they're, I'm starting to uh, 
get a lot of bookings for them as well. Were you surprised at all by the amount of demand that you're seeing? Um, a little bit. I was, I was expecting to get somewhat a good response because it's really affordable, but it's, I, it's crazy the response I've been getting. It's excellent, to be honest with you. I came up with a really good idea. <laughs> you mentioned going into September and October. Is this? Are, are you looking at doing this as like a seasonal thing, or are you marrying people all oh, year no. round? Oh, no, we'll marry you 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. I'll get out of bed if you want to get married, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and now, are many people requesting the Elvis costumes? Um, no, we've only had... Well, now, that's a lie, because, see, I'm the officiant, the wedding officiant, and obviously I can't squat in an Elvis costume, but um, my husband has, like, I've had a couple of vow renewals, so he can do that, because he's not a licensed Elvis officiant, would say, right? Because you kind of have to be. So he's just basically for pictures, but a lot of people are doing the Elvis pictures. My daughter even dressed up last week for uh, Ma as Marilyn Monroe, and that went off awesome as well. Seeing lots of chatter online about uh, that uh, little white wedding chapel down on the southern shore down in Mobile. Uh, great chat there with Brenda Lee, the owner. We're all out of time here today on News Talk. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning into the program today. I'll be back again tomorrow for another edition. Then uh, Brian Call Callahan will be back uh, in the chair on uh, Wednesday. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you to Fonz Behind the Glass for helping produce the show and making sure that I don't hit nothing that's going to take us off the air. We'll be back tomorrow. Stay safe, everyone.